0: You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we continue our study by examining how we are intended to love, live, and learn from others in our church family with a series we are calling Life in the Family. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bourgeois. This morning, we're going to continue on in our study on life in the family. You know, those family structures are so much of what make us and shape us uh, into who we are. And, uh, and so I thought I'd share with you a little bit about my family. Uh, and so this is my mom and dad in 1967 uh, when they got married. And they certainly did not know what was going to lie ahead for them or what they would be saddled with in having a child like me, as precious as I am. But I have one older brother. He's three years and three months older than me. That's the three of us, my, my dad my, and my brother. Uh, I'm the one on the left. Now, what's funny to me about this picture is obviously my brother feels connected to my dad, and I'm just kind of sitting there, right? And I look at that and think, that feels like me. I'm just kind of content and happy-go-lucky in that moment. That doesn't mean I'm always that way, but in this moment, I'm just glad to be there. And that was enough for me. There was also this other side to me where there was a family wedding, And I was not at all enjoying the suit or the tie I was having to wear. My brother is playing his part of being the supportive son. Uh, I'm the son that is compliant on the outside, but letting you know how I feel about it on the inside. So within that, I look up and I think, you know, we're going to be in this morning's message message about uh, bearing with one another. And I recognize that the reality, and you're going to hear me say this a bunch today, I'm no picnic to live with. And that started young for me, right? So one of the things that was really important to me was orderliness. Like every night, every night I cleaned my room before I went to bed. I had to. I had to know that it was straight and picked up. And so even at night, my parents could go to bed. And now it's like I'm thinking, what can I get rid of out of the room? What can I organize? What do I have too much of? And so my parents would be in bed, and I'd start cleaning out my closet or my, the drawers uh, of clothes. And my parents would wake up in the morning, and on the guest room bed, I would have a stack of stuff that I was done with. It's like, it's time to just move this on out of the house. I do not need this anymore. I think about all the times where my mom would come in, and my friend Stephen would be at the house. And mom would say, it's time to start cleaning up. Stephen needs to go home. And my general response was, no, just let him go. And she'd be like, no, he needs to help. Y'all made this mess together. And my response was always, "Steven doesn't pick up right. He needs to just leave. I will pick up because I pick up right. Which even makes me laugh because I loved light bright. Anybody remember a light bright, that thing you put those little colored pegs in and the light would shine through? I was so uh, concerned about orderliness is that I had a different container for each color of the pegs. Because I couldn't waste time digging for the right color. I needed to go right to that thing. And it didn't occur to me until the first service when I said this, that as I've said before, I've got red-green colorblindness. So I'm sure that when Stephen was trying to pick up, and I was saying he's picking up wrong, I bet you he was putting reds in the reds. And I'm wondering why he's not putting it in the greens. Because I've got red-green colorblindness. And I look up and think, you know, I can be so particular about things. I move into college, it's the first time I've ever shared a room with somebody. And uh, my roommate turned out to be the best man in my wedding, still a best friend of mine. I love that guy. But I thought he was a pig pen. And I told Ellen any number of times in the course of uh, of college that my friend was a pig pen. So you can imagine how well it went over when six months into marriage, I said, Ellen, living with you is a lot like living with him. (laughs) Because guess what? He didn't pick up right. Ellen didn't pick up right, which says, I'm no picnic to live with. And I'm going to tell you, every story I tell you today has already been approved <laughs> from my wife, because there's another one coming. And she has already given me the green light to share these stories. But I want you to think with me. When we come to this passage in Proverbs about iron sharpening iron, one man sharpens another, is the fact that we can go into these family relationships with the idea that I'm right. And you're wrong. Because I think we're really comfortable with the idea that God wants to use us to sharpen another person. And we may not at all be comfortable with the fact that God may want to use that other person to sharpen us. Now, if you were to put that iron sharpening iron together and you start rubbing it against each other, what you're going to feel if it could talk, you probably would hear them say, This hurts. This is uncomfortable. This creates friction. There's heat coming off of this. Little filings of who I am are falling off of me. Because I don't think that we always think that sharpening iron is enjoyable. But at the end, I think we would say that we have a better product that is more useful for what it was designed to be used for. And so as we walk through our message today, we're going to be asking questions about how do we bear with one another. We're going to have some definitions. We're going to talk through some stories. If we look at this, I want to invite you to open up your copy of Scripture to Ephesians chapter 4, which is going to be where we begin. As I start this, I do want to add to this statement is that Scripture tells us to bear with one another. Scripture never tells us to enjoy one another, maybe because enjoying each other can be really difficult at times. But To bear with one another, we certainly are called to love one another, selflessly and sacrificially, that we would love one another in the same way that Jesus Christ has loved us. We're called to love each other, and that means bearing with one another as well. So, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit that is the bond of peace as paul's writing this he's writing about it being under the lordship of christ is that he is the one who has called me in to this life walk in a manner worthy walk in a manner that is worthy of this calling that we have If you were here a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about the organization of the church, we talked about the fact that we have a chief shepherd, and that chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. And if we don't get that piece right, then we won't get anything else right. So Paul, when he's writing to us under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have him saying, I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy. It includes this idea that we're going to shift is that we used to live one way, and now we're going to live in a new way. And it speaks about a daily practice, a habitual, ongoing reality for the believer. He uses it as a call. This is what life is going to look like for us now. And as he began to describe it, look at the characteristics that he describes. He talks about humility. He talks about gentleness. He talks about patience. See, if we're going to walk in a manner that is worthy— of what we've been called to. And it's going to require or necessitate a change in conduct from how we used to live. Anybody see our world practicing humility, gentleness, and patience? That's why this calling is going to be so radical. It's going to be a new way of life that we're stepping out of. It's going to require something different from us. Look at that first one. With all humility, a lowliness of mind, A lowliness of mind. It was originally considered to be a derogatory term. It talked about powerlessness, that you were the servant type person. And the idea was it had to be overcome because we all may be born into this, but we need to battle with everything we have to break on through to that other world where we can be powerful. Because who wants to be weak? who would want to be weak? And when the world said that this is something that we need to fight through, it wasn't until the church came along and redeemed the word and said, no, humility is actually going to be a virtue. Now think with me about the gospel message. The gospel message is this, is that we're separated from God because of our sin and our rebellion. As as much as we would like to do it on our own, we can't do it on our own as much as we would say, I'm going to bridge the gap, I'm going to grab the reins of my life, I'm going to take charge, I'm going to make, make this happen, the gospel says we can't. The gospel says we're incapable of bridging the gap between us and God. So what we need is we need a Savior. We need to recognize our inability. We need to lay down what we perceive our strengths to be and say, Lord, I need you. And we all come together in that moment, that in that moment that we can say, okay, it's not about me, I'm not the the chief end of what I'm after, but there is a God in heaven and he loves me and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins to pay my price, that he might offer you and me life. And if you're here this morning or you're watching us online and you're saying, I don't know about this one that you're telling me about, it's the God of heaven who loves you. And he's done everything possible to build a relationship with you. And he offers it to you. And we come to faith with the recognition that, Lord, when you did that, you did that for me, such that I could have a relationship. Because this idea of humility begins with the gospel and the recognition that says, you know what, I can't do this. That's not a common phrase in our world today, is it? No, I can do it. Just give me a little bit more time. I can work a little bit harder But the gospel requires humility, and it's the first step that we have, a recognition, not that we don't have value. You have value. Two things to know. You're made in the image of God. You have value. Number two, the cross stands as an argument against anybody who would say you don't have worth and value. The God of heaven declared you as having worth and value, and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on that cross to purchase your salvation and mine. We don't have to argue about whether we have value. That's not the concern. Of course we have value. The concern is, do we have a proper, humble understanding of our value and the fact that everyone here is in this together? I'm no greater than you. You're no greater than me. We're part of the body of Christ, and we all come together here. Andrew Murray was a Scottish missionary, and he writes about humility in such a way that I'm drawn to. And I'm going to tell you right up front, as I share this quote with you, I would love for this to be true about me, and I don't think it is. And you'll see that in a second. But I'd ask you to reflect not on me, but on you, as you read through this. Murray writes this, humility is perfect quietness of heart. Now let that sink in for a second. What does that mean to you? Okay? Perfect quietness of heart. And even there, I maybe could argue, I'm like, okay, I kind of feel that sometimes, Only he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, it's to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me. To feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I'm blamed or despised. See why this draws me in? Wouldn't that be a phenomenal way to walk through this world if those words were true about us? Because we all feel the sting of this world. And Murray is setting up the reality that says, you know what, is this world, tough things are going to happen. Humility says, I'm going to live in contentment because he goes on to conclude with this. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and I'm at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. Humility looks around and says, you know what, this world doesn't owe me anything. And this world may not give me anything. But you know what? I'm not going to expect it. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to be surprised when it doesn't come to. True. What I am going to do is I'm going to go in to that dark place where it's just me and the Lord. And I'm going to find contentment in that because the Lord God of heaven is for me. And he's with me. And I can lean into that. in such a humility that says, you know what? What comes and goes in this world... It's valuable. It's important. But at the end of the day, this world doesn't owe me anything. I'm going to lean into the Lord and who he is for me. And I find myself drawn to that because if I could live in that reality, it sure would be an enjoyable place to live with all humility. Look at the second one, gentleness. A considerateness, a controlled strength. It doesn't mean we don't have emotions. It just means that our emotions don't have us. We have the capacity to control how we respond to things, how we step into things. And I think it's only possible when we actually know the Lord that we could have this. If humility was something that talked about a powerlessness and our whole world said, oh, you got to fight through that. You can't have that powerlessness. Gentleness says, no, I'm going to control my strength. I have power. I choose to not be controlled by my emotions, though. I'm in power over them. And that's not very worldly either. The third one is patience. A steadfastness in, endurance, in the endurance of suffering. You're not going to try to avenge wrongs. doesn't mean we're not wrong. It just means we don't fight back on that level. We don't try to even the score. We can bear up under provocation. Literally, it kind of means to have a long fuse is that there's this long fuse, and you can light it. But I'm going to be the one in control because my emotions are under control. I'm going to be the one that stops it from moving into this. What's going to make that possible? My relationship with the Lord. How do I know? Because the only way this becomes a reality for any of us is if we abide in Christ, which was part of what Joe was uh, sharing with us last week. If you read these words and you look at the humility and the gentleness and the patience, maybe it calls to mind this passage where Paul writes to the Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's not fruits, it's singular. There's just one fruit, but it's got nine components to it. So fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so often we may find ourselves saying, you know what, I really need to work on my patience. And we probably really, really mean when, that, when we say that, God, just give me more patience. And what we find is the Lord says, no, I'm not going to give you patience. I'm going to give you opportunities to trust me and you be patient and watch me work. But why that's such a misnomer is we don't have nine different fruits of the Spirit. Is at one time what the Holy Spirit wants to manifest in you and me as the church is that we would be living out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is that we would be living in such a way that those things are true about us. Because when we come back, we looked at this chart a couple of weeks ago, is that the growing, maturing follower of Jesus Christ has an engagement in at least three areas that we see. One is that we would be involved in worship, that these are axes, is that we're responding to God, but we're also modeling how we walk with God. And the way that we live our life is a testimony of our worship of him. But we don't live as in isolation. No, we're connected to each other, to those who are similar, to those who are different. We're called to bear with one another. Sometimes we need to bear with people who are different than us. For honest, sometimes we need to bear with people who are just like us, because sometimes they seem to drive us nuts. And we're called to serve, whether we're inside the church or outside the church. But when we see through it, what well, we look down and say, okay, so let's ba- look back at what he's saying. We're going to walk in a manner worthy. This wasn't the way we used to walk. Now we've changed course because of who God is and what he's done. Now we're going to walk with humility, gentleness, and patience. Three things that the world doesn't do very well, but the church is called to do and live out as we abide in Christ. It will come out of us. Verse 5, Why? Bearing with one another in love. Those things that we just read about humility and gentleness and patience, how could we ever bear with someone if we're not exhibiting and manifesting those character traits? Bearing with someone requires us to do that. Now, Paul writes to the church at Rome these words. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let me encourage you. For me, little Lance, who likes to have everything orderly and organized and put away, I feel that way in relationships. Now, here's where I find real encouragement in this verse. Because I don't like any of my relationships to be at odds. I want them to be organized and cleaned up and put away in a proper way. And I recognize I'm not in control of that. So when Paul writes this, let's recognize there's two caveats in this passage. If possible, if possible, it may not be possible due to whatever reason, past history, water under the bridge, whatever the conflict was, how badly you were hurt, how badly the other person was hurt, an inability to leave something behind, whatever. I'm not offering any judgment in that, just the recognition that it may not be possible. The second one, so far as it depends upon you. is whatever has transpired in this relationship. It may not be your fault. It may not be your, uh, you may not, you may lack the capacity to resolve it. If it's possible, it may not. If it depends on you, it may not live at peace with all. That's our calling. How are we going to step into this in such a way that we bear with one another in a peaceful way? It's going to require a level of humility and gentleness and patience if we're going to be able to live this out. Because it's so hard. I think what Paul's telling us in this Romans passage is this. We're not the instigator of trouble. We're not to be the one who propels and throws fuel on the fire to build up the fire. Our calling is to live peaceably with all. Now, if you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, Lance, I'm confused. There are three words in the New Testament that we're called to do with one another, and I think that it's worth mentioning so that we don't use these terms interchangeably because I don't think the context allows us to use the terms interchangeably. What are the three words? One is to accept one another. The other is bear with one another. That's what we're talking about today. And the third is forgive one another. Three different words for accept, bear with, and forgive. Why is that important? Well, look at this first one, that we would accept one another. I've got the notes up there. The context for what this is, is when we're talking about an opinion, a preference, or an issue of Christian liberty, okay? We accept and we welcome those things. We see something like this in Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Welcome the person in that thinks differently than you. Why do they think differently than you? Well, who knows? Could be their past experiences, their upbringing, something they walked through in this life, what a mentor taught them. Maybe they're new to the faith. Maybe they've never picked up the scriptures before. It doesn't matter. We're told to accept and to welcome the person that thinks differently than us. Okay? Accept and welcome them. The second one is where we talk about, uh, well, here's another one. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How did Christ welcome you? Did you agree with all of this book when you came to faith? How many of us still struggle with things that are in this book? And he still welcomes us into that. But we're called to bear with one another. And this takes on a little bit different slant. Bear with those people that have personality quirks, oddities, idiosyncrasies that are just different than you. This isn't the way they think. They can think differently than you, and you may need to know what they think. But these are the people that, for whatever reason, and the way that they live their lives can just irk you. Have you been there? I know you all haven't. But if you had thought about it, maybe there was at some point. And we see that in this Ephesians 4 passage, in the Colossians 3 passage, we're going to turn to in a minute. But I want to show you the third one, forgive. Forgive. Ephesians 4, 32, that same Colossians passage we're going to look at in a minute. When do we forgive? We don't need to forgive somebody for thinking differently than us. We don't need to forgive somebody for having a personality quirk. That person that walks through the door and says, like, hey, don't talk to me yet. I don't have my cup of coffee. And you're like, why are you not a morning person? God woke you up. Be cheery, right? And you're like, I just can't handle that person. I need to forgive. You don't need to forgive them. They're just different than you. Is there a place for forgiveness? There absolutely is a place for forgiveness. If somebody has wounded you, abused you, mistreated you, and sinned against you, you forgive that person. And we see that in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another in the same way that God in Christ forgave us. What does it mean to forgive? It means to let go and release. Somebody sinned against you, They owe a debt to you, and you open it up and say, I'm not going to try to exact payment back from you. It doesn't mean that what they did is okay. It doesn't mean that you're letting them off the hook. You may need to separate. You may need not not to spend time with them again. Again, we're told to bear with one another. We're not told to enjoy one another. But you may need to let something go and say, I'm not going to allow this to have any power. I may not ever be in the same room with you again but I'm going to release this. We don't need to forgive people for thinking differently, and we don't need to forgive somebody who just has a personality quirk that we find to be an irritant in our own lives. We have to learn how to do these things better. Matter of fact, as I would have put before you, the idea that can you imagine Adam all alone, and you and I could say, well, Adam didn't have to bear with anybody until Eve. That is true. Usually it takes two people to have to bear with each other, Right? And yet I would ask you the question, do you ever get fed up and frustrated with yourself at a repeated pattern that you seemingly can't get past? Sometimes we struggle to bear with our own selves. And so the idea that says, you know what, as soon as there were two people, we were going to have to learn how to bear with each other. And remember that creation account, it wasn't good to be alone. And so if we're not going to be alone, we're going to have to learn how to bear with each other. So we're going to have to learn how to do things like be gentle and be patient. And be humble so that we can do this in a way that honors the Lord. Why? Because we've been called to a new way of life. And that's where he's leading us through this passage, that he wants us to learn something. Matter of fact, I think that's why in Proverbs we read this good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is a glory to overlook an offense. What is it that it's time for us to release so that we can move forward and live in harmony? It's hard to live in harmony when every time somebody thinks differently, we think they owe us an apology. Or when every little quirk they have, we think, says, I just can't even stand to be in the room with you. That's not overlooking an offense. That is taking the offense in and using it as an excuse not to be unified with somebody else. Why is that a problem? We'll look back down at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. We're going to bear with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Catch the word? Eager to maintain. Eager to maintain. Not create the peace. God already created the peace. God created peace between us and him and with us with each other. And he's saying, here's your calling. Maintain it. I've already created it. You maintain it. Well, how do we maintain it? Well, we're going to bear with one another. We have to learn humility and gentleness and patience if we're going to be able to do that because that's what God intended for us to do. It's a new way of living life. The world doesn't get it. That's fine. The world isn't called to this. Those of us who claim Christ is Savior, this is our calling. Straight from the chief shepherd recorded for us in Scripture that we may lean into this. Let's turn over to Colossians 3. You can see the second place We're going to see this phrase. Now, Colossians and Ephesians are really similar books. There's a lot of similar themes between the two. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. He's going to carry the same idea. He's going to use some of the same character traits. You're going to see an overlap here in what he writes, but he's going to add a couple of things to it. Look with me, if you would, at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, I want to stop for a second. Because Paul speaks about this in such a simplistic way that if it were only that easy, put on then. He's telling us like clothes, that we would put on these clothes. Now, I want you to think with me. If you were to walk into your closet this morning and you had clothes that characterized your way of life before you met Christ, and then you had clothes that characterized your life after Christ, okay, after you've met him. All right. So before, think with me, competitive, maybe not gentle, not patient. You wouldn't say humble. I was in it for me. I'm trying to go after and get whatever I can get in this life. That's the clothes from before we know Christ. But all of a sudden there's new clothes. So now the opportunity for you and I, as we wake up in the morning, we walk into that closet and we look to one side, I'm like, no, those are the old clothes. And yet we don't, We don't really take them out and burn them and destroy them because if we're really honest, there are days where we go in and put on the old clothes. There may even be a day where we put on the clean clothes and then something happens to us and we're like, I'm taking off the clean clothes. I'm going back to the old clothes. Somebody needs to hear what I think right now. But the calling is for who? God's chosen ones, the people who are part of his family. Holy, holy means set apart for his purposes and beloved is that you and I, loved by God, absolutely the apple of God's eye, he loves you, he's for you. Why can I put on these clothes? I can put on these clean clothes because God has called me into his family, because he set me apart for his purposes, and because he loves me. And if nobody else in the world gets that, that's still fine. As Andrew Murray said, we can go into that place, we can get down on our knees, no matter what's going on around us, he loves me, and he's for me. All right, so we've got a choice to make. We're going to walk in there, we're going to grab these clothes. Look at the clothes. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Those are the clothes. Compassion. It expresses a tenderness towards suffering is the recognition that as you're bearing with somebody, whatever's going on, they've had a tough day, they've got a tough situation going on, you may know nothing about it. Compassion moves towards this person. Matter of fact, it talks about being a concrete form of responding or relating to something abstract. They're feeling a level of pain. It's an abstract feeling you may not know, but that doesn't stop you. You show up and do something concrete in response to the suffering that they're feeling. That's our our clothes. That's how we show up. Matter of fact, that word heart speaks of this Greek word that talks about the deep inner core of who you are, is that you feel what they feel at the deep core of who you are. There's no part of you that doesn't feel their pain. This is more than just saying, I'm so sorry that you had a bad day. No, this is I'm grieving with you. I'm willing to weep with you over what you're facing. I can't imagine what you're walking through. I don't know how you do what you do. And I may never know the way you feel, but what I know is this. I know you tell me how you feel, and I know that you're hurting, so I'm going to show up today, and I'm going to give you a concrete expression of how much I love you and how much I'm joining you in this, because that's all I can do. And you matter to me. And so we just start showing up, and that's what we do. That's that compassionate heart. That next one, kindness. Kindness, combining goodness and graciousness. It speaks of an uprightness in how we think about things and how we do things. Man, what an incredible word, combining goodness and graciousness, and it's extended to everybody. Why? Because if we're going to exemplify this as we put on the clean clothes, we don't get to choose who we're kind and good to. We just step into it because it's the clothes God gave us. Why did he give them to us? Because we're part of his family. Because we've been set apart for his purposes. Because he absolutely loves us. He says, I want you to put on these clothes, and I want you to go out in this world, and I want you to represent me. And I care about all people. So you know what? This kindness is extended to everyone. And then look at the next three words. Humility. That was in our Ephesians passage. Meekness. That was in our Ephesians passage, only it gets translated gentleness in that passage. Same word. And then patience. It's the same one. So if you're keeping track, we're going to bear with one another. It's part of being in God's family. It's part of what he wants to do with us. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the manifestation of abiding with Christ. He'll bring this about. But look at the character traits that we see across the two passages that are associated with bearing with one another. is that we'd have a lowliness of mind. Not that I'm worthless, but that we're equals. That there's a considerateness in the way that I think about you. There's a patience, steadfastness, and endurance suffering because it really doesn't matter. I can bear with you because you can't make me fly off the handle. I can be patient. I can have a long fuse as the Lord brings that about in me as a result of abiding in the Spirit. I can express tenderness towards your own suffering. Even if you've hurt me, I can still express tenderness. And I can combine goodness and graciousness and I can go after you and I can care for you and I can initiate with you. I don't have to wait. I have the capacity to do those things. Because if you look back, At Colossians 3.13, we're going to put on those clean clothes as part of God's family, set apart for his purpose, absolutely loved by him, a heart that moves towards people, that feels their pain with a kindness that is a goodness and a gracious response to whatever they face with humility, with meekness, with patience. And when that happens, verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other. We may need to offer some forgiveness. We may find that the bearing with has created an obstacle or a wound that needs to be forgiven. But see, those two pieces of iron that were intended to sharpen each other, it can get hot. It can create friction. We can feel like we're losing parts of ourselves as it sharpens it. But the family was intended to come together for good. Even though we're different. So, one of the things about my life, and again, Ellen has said I could share this story. Um, Ellen is better at rest than I am. I am terrible at rest. So, I call her one day when we're in college dating. She's in the sorority house, and I said, hey, what are you doing? And she says, nothing. I'm like, how are you not doing nothing? I mean, how do you do nothing? She said, I'm doing nothing. I'm like, can I ask you some questions? She said, sure. I'm like, are you sitting, standing, or or laying down? She goes, I'm laying down. I'm like, is your roommate in there? She said, no. I'm like, are the lights on? Middle of the afternoon. She said, no, but there's enough light coming through the window, I can still see. I'm like, is TV on? She said, no. I'm like, is music on? She said, no. Are you reading? No. What's your hand doing? She said, twirling my hair. I'm like, congratulations, you're literally doing nothing. (laughs) I didn't even know that was possible. And she would say, I wasn't doing nothing. I was resting. I was thinking, processing. I don't do any of those things well. I have worn out my wife and my kids with productivity. At the end of a day, if I can't point to something that I did, And I feel like the day's a loss. And I have worn my family out, and all three of them, if they were all up here, could give testimony to the truthfulness of it. How bad is it? I didn't even realize this. If I've ever called you and you answer the phone, you know what my first question is? Hey, what are you doing? And one day, I had so wounded Ellen in that moment with our kids being incredibly small, she answered the phone. And I said, hey, what are you doing? And she says, why do I have to be doing something? Why is it not enough that I'm taking care of our kids? You know who created that response? Me. Because you know what? I'm no picnic to live with. And we all have those things. As I said in the beginning, I think we can be really comfortable with the idea that God wants to use us to sharpen someone else's life. How many of us are comfortable with the idea that God wants to use somebody else to sharpen you? See, that takes on a different tone. When all of a sudden we have to recognize. Because as I do personality profiles with people, it seems like a lot of times I'm like, here you are. Like, yes, that's me. That's the perfect personality. Why doesn't everybody want to be that way? And you're like, "Uh, I don't know. If I went through mine, I'd be like, look at how great this guy is. Who wouldn't want this guy as their friend or their husband or their father? And I got three people like, "Uh, yeah, you're no picnic to live with. Because whatever happens in my life, I have framed it and shaped it so that I can live life in a way that I felt like or deemed successful. Ellen is much better at rest than I am. I feel like I am too busy trying to be productive. And so when I come to these passages, I've got to start thinking, okay, what do I do? Because 30 years of marriage, I'm still no picnic to live with. Years ago, I saw a pastor that wrote this, this uh, down God will send a difficult person in your life today to mold you. And I read it, and I'm like, oh, who's that person going to be? And then I start looking for people. I'm like, it's you, isn't it? You're the one God sent to mold me. And I get really uptight about it. They're not putting away the light bright pegs correctly. And I've got all this going on. And I read that, and now I'm like, all right, all right, let me prepare my heart so that I can be gracious and considerate and gentle and all the things that I would have a heart that would see their need. All right, what do I need to do so that this difficult person that's coming into my life today, I will be able to respond appropriately. The only problem is the guy didn't stop there. He went on to add this, but take heart, Lance, you're the difficult person he's sending to someone else. (laughs) Now, I ask you, church, If we're going to bear with one another, it's going to require a level of humility that recognizes we're no picnic to live with, or to be around, or to work with, or go to a restaurant with, it really doesn't matter. We're no picnic. My question for you is, who's somebody in your life that you can say, hey, tell me how I'm not a picnic to live with, and invite them? Because it'll level the playing field, where you might look up and say, you know what? I needed to hear that. I know that I'm prone to thinking that I've always got it the right way. We don't. We don't always have the right way. And thank heavens. Because what somebody else brings to the table, we need. Now, I'm going to ask you guys, we're going to do this informally. I have five different uh, spectrum questions I'm going to ask you. And ask you to raise your hand which one represents you. And I need you to play. And don't do the little thing where you just hold up your hand like this. No, put it up there and own it, okay? Okay. Here's the first one. How many of you are driven by tasks or driven by people? Task people, raise your hand. People people, raise your hand. Yeah. All right, let me ask you this. How many of you are initiators versus responders? Initiators. Responders. Okay. Are you a creative thinker or a concrete thinker? Creatives, raise your hands. Concrete thinkers, raise your hands. (laughs) We got people keeping score over here. (laughs) How many of you are like my wife and you're energized by thinking and processing internally versus being energized by people, which is me? How many of you are energized by downtime? Yeah, look at them all. And I apologize if I've ever asked you what you're doing. How many of you are energized by people? How many of you follow the instructions or figure it out as you go? Who are the follow instructions people? Who are the figure it out as you go? Let me just tell you, praise God that we have instructions. And for the people with it, when the side instructions go sideways, they can figure it out. Thank heavens that all of our bookkeepers are not creatives. (laughs) But thank you that our ushers and greeters are people people. Because against the body of Christ, our differences are not obstacles to be overcome. We're better. We're better. We're better in our homes. We're better in our workplace. We're better in the family of God when we quit trying to overcome the obstacle of somebody being different and actually embrace the fact that God was busy filling gaps for us and and creating other people that have strengths because I can spend my whole life trying to be stronger where I'm weak or I can embrace the person who naturally is strong in that area and let's work together to be who God calls us to be. It's a far better way for us to lean into this and our differences. In your bulletin, whether or not you've got what somebody called an analog bulletin or the digital bulletin, you open it up, you will see we're going to do this in every lesson in this series. Because if we're going to live life and the family together, we are committed to trying to not keep to not keep this up in our brains, but that it would actually change the way we live. And so you see several steps there for application. Let's begin with abiding Christ. If we're not abiding in Christ, we will not be able to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, which means all bets are off from that point forward. So we've got to begin there. So you've got a couple of questions there to ask yourself. And then evaluate yourself. Where are you not a picnic to live with? Um, Do you expect more from others? So often we grant ourselves understanding in our shortcomings and we do not do that for others. Make a list of Christians you have difficulty relating to. Hmm, you don't show that to anybody else. You don't even say, hey, you're on my list. (laughs) That'd be great. Post that on somebody's Facebook page today. Hey, Lance said this. You're on my list. When can we get together? Um, make a list. This is between you and the Lord. And then choose how you're going to engage with them. How are you going to engage with them? Because you need them. You need them. And then if we need to talk about forgiveness, because we recognize that somewhere in this process, you were sinned against, you were wounded, there was some abuse that took place, you were mistreated, then let's engage that conversation too. Our differences are a good thing. Thank heavens for them. We do not need a whole room of any one of us, but we do need a room with every one of us if we're going to be the body of Christ that God calls us to be. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.